Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Ryan. We're three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all time and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who've inspired us over the years. Rocktail Hour is now an affiliate with Amazon, the online megastore that offers Earth's biggest selection. If you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway, it would be cool if you would first click on the Amazon link on the Rocktail Hour homepage, and Amazon will kick back a few bucks to our Rocktail Hour to help fund these free podcasts. In today's Rocktail Hour, Treg is going to bring us the story behind My Generation by The Who. Thanks, Tim. The Who? 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 <laughs> Uh, that reminds me of a story, actually. Uh, I'll embarrass Tim just a little bit on this. Awesome. But uh, uh, in the mid-2000s, when uh, John Entwistle died, I had tickets to their concert just before he died. And, uh, uh, and I was talking to Tim on the phone, and uh, I told him, man, I'm so bummed I, John Entwistle died. And Tim goes, who? And I went, yeah, sad, isn't it? <laughs> and Tim goes, Who? Yeah, the who, right, yeah. I don't know, first base. <laughs> it was pretty funny how you got pretty frustrated, though. Yeah. Anyway. Trek can't remember last week when I when we went and ate somewhere yet. He can remember something like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. From... <laughs> anyway, My Generation is the title track from the Who's 1965 debut album. It's a great song. It was also a very influential song. The tone of the track helped to make it a forebearer of the punk rock movement. The song was released as a single in November 1965, and it reached number two in the UK, which was the Who's highest charting single in Britain, and it reached number 74 in America. The song was named the 11th greatest song by Rolling Stone on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Really? Yeah. It's also part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll and is inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame for historical, artistic, and significant value. Mm. What I think is the real story here is the background of society in the United Kingdom at the time. And so I thought it was worthwhile to talk a little bit about what uh, London was like in the, in the early 1960s. So at this time, the baby boomer kids were becoming teenagers. Britain took longer than other countries to recover economically from World War II, so the schools were crowded and there weren't enough jobs for the kids who were graduating. Uh, this spawned gangs of rebellious working-class youths who didn't have enough to do, didn't have anything to do. And so two principal rival gangs formed, the Rockers and the Mods. And the Mods is short for modernists. Now that's what the movie West Side Story is about, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many bullets, Chino? <laughs> <laughs> So Tim, Tim alluded to the rockers and the mods in the podcast on A Hard Day's Night, where uh, Ringo Starr said, I'm a mocker, right? Yeah, when he yeah. was asked if he was a mod or a rocker. Yeah. yeah. So the, the rockers were, uh, they wore leather jackets, tight pants, and sunglasses, and they greased their hair back in a pompadour style and rode motorcycles. And the mods wore colorful, fashionable clothes, and they had short hair and rode scooters and took a lot of amphetamines. <laughs> True really? story, yeah. <laughs> they always had a pocket full of pills. All right, then. So Pete Townsend, who was the lead guitar player for The Who, was a mod. And he said that the movement gave them an incredible sense of being a part of something and being unified. 
Everyone looked the same and acted the same and wanted to be the same. And it just gave them this sense of belonging to something greater than themselves. And, and in fact, he said that you know, all you needed to do in order to fit in and be a part of this group was just wear the right clothes. And that was it. You were, you were instantly equal with everyone else that called themselves Ahmad. And, and taking amphetamines? <laughs> yeah, so, so. Well, that wasn't a joke? That wasn't a joke. Oh. No, that was true. So is this, <laughs> so you had to fit in. So is this where sort of the, you know, go ahead and do it. Everybody's doing it. That's square. right. <laughs> is that where that came from? Probably, yeah, sure. Okay. There was a struggle for dominance among the rockers and the mods, and, and it led to violence. In 1964, there were a few high-profile riots between the rockers and the mods that left a lot of people injured and many youths arrested. So, so you have two gangs, two two sort of warring factions. I told you one one of a group of flashily dressed scooter riding thugs, right. and the other who who wore leather and had pompadours. Yes, it is the story. Do, it it is, is West Side. It story. is West Side Story. I know. <laughs> and and from from the, and right from, before they fought, they did a pot of rain. Right. <laughs> And, and from this, they birthed punk rock music. There you go. All right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, one good result of this uh, social and economic situation at the time is that many of these kids turned to music. Ringo Starr, who is the drummer for the Beatles, um, said the following. My opinion why music suddenly shot out of England in the 60s is that we were the first generation that didn't get regimented and didn't go in the army. Music was a way out. We all wanted to leave. Everyone wanted to fly. Music was my way. Back then, every street had a band. You could hear it all over. Everyone was playing, and mostly it sounded real bad. But we were <laughs> playing. Uh, we all picked up guitars and drums and filled our time with music. So uh, yeah. w what does the military have to do with that? I'm not sure if I understand the They, they weren't being drafted anymore. Okay. Yeah. You know, Britain, this wasn't a dig on Elvis. No, Britain canceled the draft because they didn't need Oh, okay. kids anymore in the army. And so you got all these kids that, what are we going to do oh, okay. with our time? We're not going into the military like they used to. They weren't getting the regimentation of the military. Mm -hmm. And so they all turned, a lot of them turned to music. And think about all the great music that came out of England in the 60s. Yeah. You know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Eric Clapton, the Yardbirds, Jeff Beck. I mean, you could count dozens and dozens of great bands and great artists that came out at the same time as the Who. Pretty amazing. American blues had a huge influence also on music in England at this time. And several bands such as the Rolling Stones, the Yardbirds, and the Who got their start playing covers of blues songs. Pete Meaden, who was the first manager for the Who, took this, this blues cover band and grafted a mod image onto the group to distinguish them from the other leather-clad blues bands like the Rolling Stones and, and the Beatles, too. They, they started out as rockers before they cleaned up their image to make them appealable to, to everybody. So Meaden explained, I had this dream of getting a group together that would be the focus, the entertainers for the mods, a group that would actually be the same people on stage as the guys in the audience, an actual representation of the people. So in addition to looking like the mods, you know, the, the manager made them all dress like the mods so that they would, right. you know, be the image of them. And so is this where sort of that, that image of, and I'm not, I'm using this visual, but I'm not being facetious, like Austin Powers with the ascot and the, 
Is, yeah. is, is that what we're really talking about as, as the mod? Is it similar? Yeah, it's like colorful, Those colorful, colorful suits and ascots and maybe ruffled um, collars and stuff. It changed frequently is what I understand. You mm. know, every, every week there was some new fashionable thing that the mods were wearing and you had to go and buy that. And we're talking about poor working class kids, too. And they spent a lot of their money buying clothes to keep up with the fashion of the times. Well, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Always black boots. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yep. So in addition and they had to... bad teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that had nothing to do with the music, though. Yeah, that never changed. <laughs> okay. That hasn't changed. <laughs> so in addition to looking like the mods and targeting the mods' favorite clubs to play, when the Who started writing their own music, they tried to capture the anger and the rebelliousness of the mods. Their style of playing reflected the defiant lyrics, with Roger Daltrey's screaming vocals and... Pete Townsend's crashing guitar and John Entwistle's thumping bass and Keith Moon's maniacal drums. They were trying to capture the essence of the mods. Uh, the, uh, the smashing guitars and the exploding drums that they did at the end of almost every set further emphasized the rebellious spirit of the band. In particular, Pete Townsend wrote My Generation about the mods, and it became, oh. it became a battle cry of the mods. Mm. In addition to writing the song, you know, about the mods, Pete Townsend has said that uh, one of his influences was, uh, he, he said in a Rolling Stone magazine interview, my generation was very much about trying to find a place in society. I was very, very lost. The band was young then. It was believed that its career would be incredibly brief. Uh, Townsend also says that he was uh, inspired in part by the queen mother who allegedly had his 1935 Packard Hearst towed away because she was offended by the sight of it during her daily drive. So he got angry and put, it, put that into his lyrics. And Townsend has also credited most of Allison's Young Man Blues as one of the inspirations for the song. Hmm. Well, the, let's talk a little bit about the lyrics. One of the most quoted lines in rock history is, I hope I die before I get old in the chorus. And uh, for Pete Townsend, he said that when he wrote that lyric, old meant very rich. Didn't necessarily mean to him, you know, before I get in my 40s or 50s. And how ironic that he became both. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's some more irony for you. In 1965, Roger Daltrey claimed that he would kill himself uh, before reaching age 30 because he didn't want to get old. Hmm. Well, I saw him in a concert a couple weeks ago on TV, and he's in... What, in his 60s? And he's still rocking hard. He's, yep. he's got to be older than that. Yeah. He's got to be in his 70s. Yeah. You think so? Well, I mean, sure. I mean, the Beatles would be in their mid-70s now. Um, so anyway, Daltrey, he still continues to perform the song, and he explains that it's about an attitude, not a physical age. And that's something I can ascribe to. I hope I die before I get old, too, you know, before my uh, mind starts thinking like an old person rather than a young wannabe rocker. Daltrey's vocals uh, feature an angry and frustrated stutter, and there are various stories that exist for, uh, for the reason for the stutter. One of the reasons is that it was inspired by John Lee Hooker's stuttering blues. That's one of the theories. Hmm. Uh, another theory is uh, that it was suggested to Daltrey that he stutter to sound like a British mod on speed. <laughs> so oh, really? He would sound like the kids in the audience who were popping the amphetamines. Daltrey said that he had not rehearsed the song before the recording, 
and he couldn't hear his own voice through the monitors. And so the stutter came about as he was trying to fit the lyrics to the music as the best he could. And the band decided it worked enough to keep. And so the, the producer insisted that it was just one of those happy accidents that they thought they should keep. And, and it is. It's one of, the, one of the classic parts of that song is the, is the stuttering and the vocals. This I also found to be interesting that the BBC for a while refused to play the song because they felt that it was making fun of people who stuttered. <sighs> but as it gained in popularity, they reversed their course and started playing it. And I've never got that impression. I don't no. stutter, so you know maybe I'm not sensitive to that issue. But I, I never got the impression that it was that it was making fun of people who stutter. Yeah, I thought it was just an artistic choice. Well, the British are nothing if not sensitive. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We've offended all our British listeners. <laughs> yeah, this podcast. <laughs> all two of you. Yeah. <laughs> We have some listeners in Australia. Will they be offended? No, because they were castoffs. Ah, right. They were right the rebellions. Yeah. yeah. The instrumentation of the song also reflects the lyrics, fast and aggressive. But the song didn't start that way. Um, they fiddled around with it for about a month, trying different arrangements. It began as a slow song with a blues feel, and then at one point it had hand claps and multiple key changes. But the final product was a fast tempo rocker that they reportedly recorded in two takes. Wow. My Generation also featured a rocking bass solo by John Entwistle, and it's one of the first bass solos in rock history. He was playing a bass that was new on the market. Um, I think it was called the Dan Electro bass, and he kept breaking the strings, but there weren't any replacement strings that were available. And so he had to go out and buy a new bass every time he would, he would break a string. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I think I read that that happened three times. So he in, instead he ended up using his Fender bass to, to record it. The ending, of this, this, the ending of the song has been described as electric mayhem, with Keith Moon pounding on anything that he could find on his drum kit. And uh, Pete Townsend was flipping his pickups on and off. And then uh, Townsend and Daltrey go back and forth on the vocals, stomping on each other intentionally uh, to add to the chaos makes a really cool ending to the song, yeah, just it does. pure chaos. In September 1967, one of the most famous performances of this song was on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. And during the performance, uh, they destroyed their instruments, which was typical of the time. And Keith Moon set his drums to explode after the performance. But one of the techies had already done that. And so I, it sounds like they got a double dose of oh, no. <laughs> pyrotechnics. <laughs> yeah, pyrotechnics. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it ended up burning Pete Townsend's hair and permanently damaged his hearing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. You know, I, I read that um, Pete Townsend was performing one time. It wasn't necessarily this song, but he was performing, and, he, and he, his guitar hit the ceiling. and it bro I guess he was frustrated and hit the ceiling, and it broke, and so he just got angry and busted it. And the crowd went wild, and so Keith Moon wrecked his guitar kit, and the crowd went wild, and so they thought, hey, let's stick with it, you know? That's cool. And so that's mm -hmm. why they did it almost at the end of almost every concert for a long time. They would bust up their instruments. We kind of talked about that in the Purple Haze uh, rock tale hour, that the Jimi Hendrix and the Who kind of were in competition to try to outdo each other, that's right. especially when they were on the same bill and neither one of them wanted to go after the That's other right. because really? they wanted to top each other and do yeah so. smash up their right. their instruments 
Yeah, Jimi Hendrix you know, poured lighter fluid all over his guitar and, and burned it up, and you know it was still live. So while yeah. it was crackling and burning, it was making these unearthly sounds. So iconic, too. You yeah. just like, picture yeah. that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, thanks, Treg. I uh, appreciate that story. That is a, that's a great story. There are a lot of things in there uh, that I, I was unaware of, and I never knew what the reference to mods or rockers was. So even I've learned something. Uh, please email us at Duke. <laughs> you are. Uh, do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know a lot about music. Please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we've got it all wrong, if you have an interesting rocktail of your own, or if you have a recommendation of a song that you would uh, think would be a good subject for a rocktail hour. If you think we're lame, well, please just keep that to yourself. And please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes. Until the next rocktail hour, rock on. Rock on.